I was smelling the sausages. Was anyone else smelling them too? <laughs> so afterwards, we're going to have a great barbecue, and we're going to share some food, and that'll be great, but you're just going to have to wait for it just a little bit longer. Thanks, Sal, for the uh, physiology lessons as well, and something we can take with us too. If you have got a Bible there, why don't you turn with me to John chapter 16, or if you've got an iOS device, um, just look that up, uh, maybe on uh, one of the apps, and you can just leave it there, and we'll come back to it in just in a little while's time. The reason why um, we're talking about breathing today is for a number of reasons, but for one of them, I still remember when I first learnt how to breathe properly. It was about 23 years ago when I first had my full-blown first ever panic attack. I remember that there was no warning for this coming in my own life, apart from the weeks preceding the, that full-blown moment that evening were sort of interrupted sleep where I would just wake up and feel this sense of shortness of breath. And uh, when I was feeling this sense of shortness of breath, I would just take some deep breaths in the middle of the night and then lie back to sleep again. And there I would I'd doze off in the morning. Wouldn't wake up in the morning feeling all too particular rested, but that's what preceded my first full-blown panic attack. Well, the night came when uh, everything was started to unwind for me. I remember sitting up in the middle of the night, feeling this overwhelming sense of choking, that I couldn't breathe, and uh, life was falling apart. So I concluded in that very moment that I was having a heart attack because I couldn't catch my breath and I couldn't relax myself enough. My hands were clammy. I checked my pulse. It was weak. So what do you do when you realize that you're having a panic attack? Well, you need to go to the hospital. So you get dressed, you hop in your car, and you go to Box Hill Hospital because they're the ones who are going to make you right, right? That's what you do when you're having a heart attack. And so I drove myself to Box Hill Hospital, and uh, I was triaged, and they took me into this little cubicle. And there they left me for the entire night. I remember sitting there during the night, and it was about 7 or 8 a.m. in the morning time, and I had a little conversation with myself. I said, Troy, you haven't died yet. Maybe you're not having a panic attack. Um, maybe you're not having a heart attack. So uh, I walked out. I hopped up in my little cubicle and I drove home uh, when you do, when you've had a heart attack. And uh, then I called up my local GP and I said, could I come and talk to you about some really strange, curious symptoms I'm having? And so I sat in her office and she said, Troy, how about you watch this video? Do you remember those things called VCR videos? And I remember placing it into, because that's what you did, you placed it into the cassette drive and you hit play. And then for the next half an hour, I listened to someone talk about and name all of my particular experiences to do with having a panic attack. And the penny dropped me in that moment. Ah, oh, other people in the world have experienced things just like this. Well, I discovered a couple of things about myself over the next coming months and over the last 23 years. The first one is this. Our bodies are like sponges. They soak up stress. I was acquainted with a book this week called The Body Keeps Score. It's uh, physiologists and um, practitioners who have worked with trauma victims, particularly Vietnam vet veterans. And they say your physiology and your psychology changes. It's as though your body keeps score. It's got a memory. Now, I wasn't going through those particular, but at a much lower grade level, I discovered that our bodies are like sponges. And you would feel it right here because of all the things that Sally has just described. Diaphragm becomes tight. In fact, this became the measuring stick for how I was doing and coping with all the different pressures and stresses and anxieties. 
The second thing that I discovered, though, is that there was a glitch in our family. Thank you very much, family. Um, nice to discover in your 30s that there's a glitch that runs through and is dotted all throughout the entire. I remember sitting with a, um, a business person who was in a high-pressured job, and he said to me as we sat down there in the cafe in uh, Fitzroy Street, um, he said, Troy, this is the best opportunity of your life. And I said, come again. <laughs> he said, what you don't realize is that your body's trying to tell you something. He says, I've actually been in a psychiatric ward twice in my lifetime. And it wasn't until I discovered to listen to my body and learn what it was trying to tell me that I discovered that maybe there were some other things that God was actually bringing to my attention that would be really helpful for you to attend to. And so I realized this, that sometimes... And in particularly in this situation, prayer couldn't pray it away. In fact, now hear this right. I think sometimes as Jesus followers, and maybe if you're just checking God out today, the idea of having fast, quick, responsive prayer that just takes away things actually might subvert the very thing that God's actually wanting to do in your life. That is to take you to deeper places of exploration and understanding where you might meet him in that place. And discover that there's a different kind of conversation that you can have with God that takes you into a deeper realm in situations and circumstances and understanding in your life that otherwise you would never have attended to. And so during the course of the last 23 years, I've learnt to breathe again. I've discovered that my diaphragm is like an elastic band. And for me, in that particular stage in my life, it was stretched so tight that any little extra little bits of pressure would just cause this reactive system in my own body. So I had to learn to breathe again, breathe properly, because it was just a sign and the symptom of what was actually going on and how my body was trying to cope with the different pressures it was under. I wonder if you're here today and you've struggled with or have struggled with a mind health situation we call it mind health because no one likes it to be called mental health because no one likes to be called mental <laughs> i just want you to know that god loves you you haven't done anything wrong he hasn't abandoned you he's not punishing you he might be actually closer to you than you can imagine he might be calling you into deeper places to discover who he is you know over the last two years the pastoral team have been trying to work through and pray a constant prayer. God, who do you want us to be in this changing space? I wonder if you've uttered prayers like that too. And over the past, I guess, few months as we've walked and we've talked and we've prayed together and discerned, God, who do you want us to be? Where are you leading us? We've kind of arrived at this idea that in 2022, 2022 we need to learn to breathe again. For a whole variety of reasons. And we're using that physically as well as metaphorically. I read a stat this week that said, We will breathe in an average lifetime 670 million times. A cycle of breath will occur every 3.3 seconds. There's an exchange between oxygen and carbon dioxide in our bodies. And we are acutely unaware that we're breathing all of the time. So it's about becoming aware to that, but also aware to what God might be speaking to us about collectively. See, the pastoral team, as I guess we've observed and asked these questions, we've realized three things. The first one is this. Gee, a lot of us are tired, almost exhausted. 
We heard it before Christmas when people were saying, I'm going to isolate because I actually just don't want to catch COVID because I'm so desperate to make sure that I get my holiday. <laughs> and then we heard it again when people said, actually, I, I, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I don't want to, but if I did catch COVID, I'd prefer to catch COVID when I'm back to work, <laughs> which for all those employees here, a part of it is not good news. <laughs> so the first one is we're a bit tired. Is that right? We're a bit exhausted. I guess the second thing we've observed is that people are doing the big reevaluation. I was talking with someone just this week and they said, you know what, we don't have enough swim teachers for our swim school. They've gone. Same with gymnasiums. Same with, with work all throughout our system. It's as though that there's, we're deciding what is it we pick up, what is it we put down, and just one more thing will tip me over the edge, right? And the third thing I reckon I've observed that I'm probably a bit more thoughtful of this aspect is that if I was to describe the place in which we are as an entire community, as in a nation and just a community here, it would be one of bewilderment. I mean, we've seen in this last two years, haven't we, how well our leaders have got along together. <laughs> I mean, they've met in that place and they have talked kindly to each other. They have gone back to their respective states and they've been on track, on same page. They have said the same message and they have publicly thanked one another for all the hard work that everyone's doing to pull together, haven't they? For the first time in my life, I've actually heard whispers of people saying, have we picked the wrong pony called democracy? And maybe there's some other forms of governance that we should entertain because of it. On top of that, I think this might be the last generation where gender is maybe assumed because it's going to be selected and chosen. Radical change as we define ourselves inwardly. First time history of the world rather than being defined from what's happening to us or the relationships we have outside inwardly. Wow. And then on top of that, apparently the world's warming up. It is. And there'll be huge people displacement all around the globe, that we can't even imagine what that would be like. And then on top of it all, apparently in the last two years, a handful of citizens have actually flown into outer space. So we have these massive technological advances where you can get on a rocket now and you can just make maybe travel like aircraft, but actually out into space. And all of this is happening at the same time. So I reckon I call it one of bewilderment. Where are we? If there is a time for us to learn to breathe again, I think it's now. So that's why our pastoral team have said, for our theme this year, what we'd like to do is learn to breathe again, physically and spiritually. Because our conviction is this, that we will rebuild and that we will move forward through heartfelt engagement, through heartfelt engagement and worship of the one true living God together. Let me say that again. Our sense is that we will rebuild and move forward in heartfelt worship and engagement of the one true living God together. As we learn to breathe again. So we want to use this physical application in a metaphorical way to talk about some spiritual things. So we have three phases of breathing. We breathe in. 
I reckon in the breath in, we need to actually do a stock take. To actually ask the question, where are we? To actually acknowledge where we are. And then as we pause, because the tendency so much for some of us will be, we've just got to snap back and do the same, same. And I reckon that tendency for some of us will be such that we'll miss the pause moment where we get to ask the question, God, where are you? And how do I attune myself to who you are? And then thirdly, as we breathe out, if we've actually attuned ourselves to God and listened to him and paused, then I think what we pick up again or put down will have a new, fresh, strategic sort of focus with more purpose because we've been asking the question, God, where are you at work and how do I actually join you in an authentic way? Does that make sense? So in the midst of it all, I guess we want to teach ourselves to breathe again. (laughs) That is, to breathe in, to ask the question, God, where are we? And acknowledge the space we're in. To pause, to ask the question, God, where are you? And how do I tune myself to your voice? And then having heard and discerned and listened, rather than just snap back, to breathe out with new intent and purpose. And for some of us, it's going to take 12 months to do the first thing. Breathe in. (laughs) For some of us, you're going to go breathe in and pause. And boy, do I need to pause. All that's tight. And then for some of us, those who are more the type A personalities, who we go, oh, come on, what's this breathing stuff? Breathe in, pause. Yeah, that's it. Go. So breathe out with some new intent. Anyone, type A people here? Welcome to the club. We think too much. We always do. That's part of our problem. However, I want to read some words from the Bible. Because this is more than just physiology. This is engagement with the one true living God to reset. John chapter 16. Jesus has, just a few days before, caused Lazarus to be raised from the dead. And that's been a threat to his political adversaries. Then he's gathered his disciples intimately in a room before he's going to be crucified. And he sat down and he's washed their feet and given them a tangible lesson of what the new kind of leadership and the new kind of heartfelt attitude is to one another, serving one another lovingly, putting yourself below someone else for their benefit. He's passed a piece of bread to the guy who's going to stab him in the back by the name of Judas and said, go and do what you do. And Judas has left the room And then Jesus has a conversation with his disciples where he actually gets up close to them and he says, you know what, you don't quite understand it, but I'm going to actually, I'm going to die and I'm going to go back to my father and I want you to know this. And for the first time, it's as though the penny is dropping for his disciples and they realize that when Jesus said he's going to die, he really means it. And so filled with this shock, this anxiety, this worry, He pauses for a moment and he reads these words to them by way of reassurance. Chapter 16 from 25 onwards. 
Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And then the disciples, finally the penny drops, 29. The disciples say, now you're speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. To which Jesus replies to them, <laughs> you finally, you nincompoops. You finally get it. You believe at last. But I tell you this, a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. And you're going to leave me alone. You're going to run like scared little kids who have just been frightened by a balloon that's popped. And you're going to run and hide under your beds. And I tell you, it's going to happen really quickly and really soon. But I want you to know this. I'm not alone. Because my father is with me. And then he goes on and he says these most powerful words. 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. He says, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Take courage. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The word for overcome, nikao. It's where one of our best-known sporting brands gets its swish from, which means he who overcomes, he who conquers, or victory. I was talking with a group of young adults as we're starting to pull things back into swing two weeks ago. I said to them, Jesus says that you're not going to have an easy life just following him, and you're not going to be... Uh, removed from having ad adversity. So why on earth would you want to follow Jesus if he doesn't promise you a good life that's going to be just abundant with everything? I said, go away and have a talk about it. They went away, had a talk, and they came back, and I said, why on earth would you want to follow Jesus if he doesn't promise you pristine life? No problems, no anxiety, no troubles, no heartache, no COVID. First guy answers, he says this, it's because I discover in God through Jesus that there's some being who actually loves me and it gives me an intrinsic sense of worth and value to know that I am loved. I say, good answer. Someone else says this. They say, because he's, if he is God, he's like, worth it? Good answer. I said, let me throw in another one. He said, I find when I actually connect with Jesus and he connects me with a personal being at the base of the at the, what's behind carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, which makes up most of our bodies, I'll tell you this, to actually have a living personal engagement with a creator gives me a sense of place in this world. I have a unique sense of place that even when things are going badly and belly up, that you know what, at the end of the day, he's the one who has, I didn't say this word, I'm adding it now, nikao, he's one, which means if you follow Jesus, you're a winner. <laughs> even though you might be facing all kinds of adversity. 
because he's overcome everything. Death, life, <laughs> dark force, powers, devil, powers of sin and selfishness at the core that just says me first. He's overcome it. He's done it. So at the end of the day, I can lie my head down, not to say and diminish and say anxiety doesn't matter, although it's not real, I'm just going to pray it away. But no, it calls me deeper into this sense, this conviction that you hold me even when I don't feel held. How do I take courage? It's when people like you and I, we say, do I fundamentally believe what Jesus says? And if so, I need to appropriate that to myself. So ask yourself a question. If the words of Jesus were truly true, what would that mean for me right now? Think of the thing you're anxious about, concerned about next week, facing as soon as we finish this time. Would it make a difference in your life you answered that question with a yes, I do believe that he is overcome? If that was truly true for me. The trick I find in my own life is living as though it's real. Every moment, every day, highs and lows. When I wake up feeling that, oh yeah, I know what you are. My unwelcome friend. Or just, Daniel's going to come up right now because we're going to have a pause space. Well, you might encounter Jesus speaking to you. I mean, maybe you're here and you're just going, I'm just, I don't even, why not give him a go? Not in some flippant way, but in some deep spiritual sense of, I don't have everything worked out. I know that. We all agree with that. In fact, if you're perfect here today, could you go over to the corner over there later on? Because I'd love to have a conversation with you because I want to learn from you. Because I think there's only one person who fits that bill. And he says, oh, and by the way, at the greatest cost, at the hardest effort, in the most excruciating manner, that's what he secured. So I know my place. I have a great sense of purpose, greater sense. Not a great sense, greater sense. And a clarity. So I wonder if we might just finish this morning by breathing. Why don't you breathe in? Go and humor me just for a moment. Breathe in. Pause. Breathe out. Breathe in. Pause. Breathe out. Breathe in. Pause. Breathe out. Now as you breathe in, why don't you recite in your mind, take courage. For I have overcome the world. Breathe in. 
take courage. For I have overcome the world. Thank you, Jesus. I give all of my life to you. I give the things I can't resolve and fix. I give the things that are unwelcome intrusions in my life. I even give you some of those quirky things that I sense even maybe now, just in a different way, you might be calling me to deeper reflection and understanding, not to just pray it away, but actually you might be actually asking me to attend to some things I've never attended to before, but that just the last two years have just made it evident. Because you want to call me deeper. You want to make me more fully human, a vessel that can distribute your love more openly, more willingly, more naturally, more clearly, less anger, more love like you. Breathe deep. Pause. Breathe out. wonder if we might sing together just where you are don't need to stand this might be a response when you sing it don't sing it to me don't sing it to Daniel sorry Daniel I just bumped your hand that was awkward but sing it to the one true living God because we'll repair through heartfelt worship together one true living God.